0: This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists, ...and why they do what they do. On this edition of the Paltrocast, I spoke with three people from very different walks of life. All of them touring the world and doing very interesting things. Those people are singer Tim Ripper Owens, hinder drummer Cody Hansen, and professional wrestler Michael Elgin. First up is my chat with Tim Ripper Owens... Tim first became well-known as the singer of Judas Priest, and since then has found success as a solo artist, a guest vocalist, and a member of a few supergroups. Currently, Tim is touring alongside former members of the Ronnie James Dio Band and the infamous Dio Hologram. Tim was an absolute pleasure to speak with. You're on the road with the Dio Disciples. Uh, How long was that in the works for?
1: Well, uh, you know, this one is actually not technically the Dio Disciples is just the Dio band. We kind of try to make it different going out on the road with this, with the hologram tour. Um, I mean, listen, this hologram tour, the hologram itself, and the idea has been it works from Eye illusion for years now. I mean, probably trying to get it right for four years. I think I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm not exactly sure, uh, but you know, it's, uh, it's been a long process and it still is. You're still trying to, you know, work things out and do it.
0: So it's the sort of thing where you come out and you sing a few of the songs. Or are you actually on the stage for most of the show?
1: Uh, you know, I think you know I sing. You know, probably three or four of myself. Oni Logan sings three or four, and then around there we sing a couple together as well. And then we do a couple with with the hologram where we're on the side. It's really amazing looking, to be honest. It's uh, uh, yeah, and then in the hologram, Ronnie's hologram. Uh, comes in and out and sings uh, songs throughout the show. An interesting
0: thing about interviewing you particularly is how many projects that you've been involved with on so many different ranges of things, but in a way, it's kind of hard to keep track of you. And I mean that in a good way. Is that something that you hear often?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, kind of, it's really funny, though. What The part I love to hear is people say, I wonder what Rip, Tim Ripper Owens has done since Shoot His Priest. I'm like, well, you've, I don't think you've checked the news lately because I've done plenty um it, it is you know but it's a different era where you know you have to stay busy i mean you know if i wanted to work on one band uh i would have to have a regular job i mean that's just the way it is i mean uh it's just impossible to try to keep up with that so me staying busy and singing for all these doing all these records you know i mean i just released three records just just this year you know so it's, you know, listen, I'm a musician. I just want to do for a living, you know, so it's kind of, uh, but it is, you know, I just say to people, just go on social media, you know, go to my websites, all that to, to try to figure out what, what the hell I'm doing, I guess.
0: Well, I say it's a wonderful thing that you're so prolific in, a, in a, such a great variety of projects. And it really shattered the myth because a lot of people probably thought, well, he's at a Judas Priest, it's over. But in a way, you've been much more successful than you were in Judas Priest as a result of creating a brand. I'm curious when you knew that it was going to be a stable existence as being sort of a freelancer, a hired gun, a, just a prolific guy on a lot of different projects.
1: Well, I, you know, it was it was probably after uh, maybe after Yngwie, when I quit Yngwie, I kind of realized it. I mean, listen, I could do one thing. I could make records solo and tour solo to be honest, that would probably be enough for me, you know, because I, I, I tour all over the, the world solo. I've been more places solo than with any band, you know, so, uh, from Africa to, to, uh, you know, Israel, uh, wherever, um, uh, Dubai, it's kind of crazy, but I think at that time I realized that I went and played somewhere in South America and they had a band waiting for me and they learned my music and I realized I started getting offers and I realized then maybe I can do this, you know, maybe this is something that, uh, uh, you know, and it was really, I backed into it, you know, and, uh, and I am busier now. Uh, I make more records. I sell as many. And, and I have an opportunity to, to make more money because I stay so busy than ever in my whole career. You know, there's people that say, Oh, I, he got kicked out of Judas Priest. What to do now? Oh, I do better. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Judas Priest was so amazing for me. It was there's there's such great guys. I love them to death. They gave me everything in the world, man. I mean, they they I made money. I, you know, I was able to go buy a Jaguar. Uh, you know, it was a great time, but they opened the doors up for me to do whatever I wanted if I played my cards right and, and I've been able to.
0: And when it comes to side hustles and all that as a musician, personally as a person that's worked in artist management i know of artists who were on major labels and you know secretly have done some jingle work or they've written music for commercials is that something that you've ever done
1: i haven't you know i mean I've, I've you know thought about things listen i i've been on a commercial i was just on the the big dodge which you know i was singing the song i didn't get anything from it which is that's how the music business works the Santa Claus is back in town for the Dodge commercial when the red Dodge is gone. So I was on that commercial. I've been in some TV shows with some songs from, from records, charred walls of the dam kind of, you know, so I could do these things. And listen, I would, my thing is, as long as it's me being myself, I will do anything in music. When I do these projects and I sing on, I sing on songs all for people all over the world because I love to sing. You know, so whenever I get this opportunity to do stuff, uh, I do it um, if it's right, you know.
0: And then in terms of singing, because the more musicians that I meet and speak with, some of them wouldn't be caught doing karaoke or singing or something like that if it's not on a real deal stage. Are you the kind of guy that's singing even when he's not on stage and he's not recording, that just around the house you're singing?
1: No, no. (laughs) I'm actually the guy that. I like to just sing on stage. You know, I'm not a, I'm not even a sound check singer or a rehearsal singer. I just love to sing it on stage. I've only sing, I sing karaoke every now and then when I used to have a restaurant and I would get up and sing like simple man by Skinner or something, but I just, I'm just good at going on stage and singing when I'm not on stage. I don't feel like I sing that great half the time. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'll just stick to singing on stage. That's uh, about, I mean, I love to do it, but other than that, you know, I'm, when I'm off stage, it's, it's not, it's not what I do all the time.
0: And in terms of the style of singing that you usually do, there's a lot of high notes involved. And, of course, that's a long-term game of taking care of your voice. Or are you just blessed and you don't have to do a lot of vocal care?
1: No, I'm the complete opposite. I'm, I'm, I'm cursed with, you know, uh, not talking a lot. I've got to drink a lot of water. I've got to watch my voice. I remember like Ronnie Dio could, could have some beers before the show and he would entertain everybody and I'm the complete opposite. I have to kind of just shut it down and be careful what I do. And that's how it's, that's how I've always been, but the older I've gotten it's gotten more. And that's you know, but to be honest, I, I think my voice is seasoned as well, where I have a wider range of a voice now, uh, where my mids and my lows and my higher natural voice is even better because I've had to learn to do different things and you know, when I put these last three records out, I put one out called the three Trimmers, which is three singers singing straight at a power metal. That's craziness with high notes all over. I also released spirits of fire, which is with Chris Caffrey from uh, transparent orchestra. And it's like a Judas priest meets sabotage. And then probably the most, the well best received one was in one called a new revenge, which has Carrie Kelly, who was in Alice Cooper and, and, uh, out and he, now he's in uh, um, Night Ranger, and it has James Kotek, who was in the Scorpions, and Rudy Sarzo, and that's like a rock, hard rock record, straightforward, which is the most commercial, and there's not that much high notes in it, so, uh, you know, I've just released three records within a month apart, that happen to come out, and they're all three very different.
0: And another thing that I'm also curious about with your career is, you seem to have lived in Ohio your whole life, and... Before you're saying, you know, you're doing as well as ever, if not better than ever, monetarily and, you know, the demand is there. And it's kind of surprising in a way to hear that you didn't have to move to L.A. or New York to make it.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it really is. But I think it was a different time, too. You know, I, when I made Priest, it was in the, the mid-90s. And, and by the time, you know, that was, it was, you know, in the 2000s. And, you know, you didn't have to go to L.A. then, you know, the, L.A. was the 80s time where you really had to go there you know, now I can sit and do my, my craft at home. I do all my studios, my singing in my studio, you know, and if you come out to LA, I just fly out there and do my thing or, you know, so it's really a, a lot different time now where you don't have to do that. There was no, you know what, maybe because I made Judas Priest, they were from England. There was, you know, I would spend a lot of time there, but you're not going to move there. So maybe if it would have been an LA band or, you know, an American band, I might've had to have, uh, you know, relocated. But, yeah, I've never had to, you know, and I've always been able to travel and come home with the, all the family and friends.
0: And before you mentioned your restaurant, which I know you had uh, more than one incarnation, is there more to life for you than just, you know, music, touring, recording? Is there a Tim Owens that we don't really know about as fans? Well, there really isn't. I mean,
1: the thing, I, I think I'm, people pretty much know me, you know, uh, they know I'm a family guy, um, you know, when I'm home, and it, it, everything evolves around my, you know, girlfriend and her kids and my kids and my family and everybody. And uh, so, you know, that takes up so much of your time when I'm home. That's why I really, with even with the restaurant, it's like, man, I can't even, let's sell this because I, I can't afford to uh, do all this stuff and come home and do that. And, but, you know, I want, you know, I like to golf and stuff, but I usually just do cherry events. Uh, Celebrity events for that and I just when I come home. I work on the music and and drive my kids around or or, You know drive all the kids around. It's kind of crazy.
0: Absolutely Uh, So after this tour has wrapped do you know any other tours that you have going on? Do you know how far in advance your career looks or is it really just week by week day by day?
1: Well, usually I have it planned pretty far in advance, but we've kind of been on hold with the the hologram tour so I've left a big opening to be open to to wait to tour with that. But now I've decided to go ahead and, you know, the three trimmers are in demand to go do a lot of touring. Uh, so I think, uh, September, October, I'll be touring pretty much all over from America to Australia to, uh, South America, Mexico. I'll be doing a, you know, all over, I'll be touring with that July and August. I'll take off and do a little bit of, uh, recording and, and, what I have to get done with that, maybe go on a little, take a little vacation in the middle of July, you know, but it's always something working on. I always have something going on. <laughs> right. That's the theme of this whole
0: conversation in the best of ways. Uh, so in closing, any last words for the kids?
1: Well, I, I just want to say, thanks, you know, I mean, I, it shows you that it's great to have fans like, like I have out there. Uh, and it's great that, you know, they can see that, listen, I got lucky. I made you this priest, you know, a dream come true, and you know, couldn't have been treated any better and had the best of friends with Judas Priest. And I just moved on, and, and now I'm out here celebrating another one of my idols, uh, Ronnie James Dio. And with this amazing show, I mean, this show is so amazing, and the lighting and, and everything, it's just a, a great show to come see.
0: Next up is my interview with Cody Hansen, drummer of the Oklahoma based band Hinder. Hinder sold over 4 million albums and 10 million singles, beyond amassing over 100 million audio streams and 150 million-plus video views. The band recently released Halo, its first new single in about two years, and is touring through the end of the summer. Again, another great guy to speak with. Hinder's journey intrigues me because you came onto the scene really really strong with huge radio hits you continued up with more singles from your albums you changed lineups, but you transitioned into that way where you could be a band that plays you know if you play 12 songs eight or 10 of them were singles and i'm curious when you knew that you were you know officially a legacy act in a good way
2: (laughs) well i appreciate you saying that actually (laughs) um you know, I don't know. I've never even, I've never even really thought of it that way. You know, I've, I've you know, I think we all just kind of, kind of strive to, to keep creating. You know, you know, music. You know, as good as, as as we're capable of making, I guess. So, I don't know if I've ever, like I said, I don't know if I've ever even considered it. You know, we just, uh, we just want to keep, keep going, and we want this thing to continue. So we just try to get better. You know, as time goes on.
0: Well, that question comes from the long-term, you know, trajectory of the band, I'm sure in the early days there was a lot of people in the crowd that just wanted to hear Lips of an Angel, but then now, you know, in a way you kind of weeded out the people who liked the one or two initial hits, and then you have a crowd of people that are really there to see you guys. And so that puts you in the position of doing not just festivals, but being headliners and, you know, across the country, and if you wanted to be weekend warriors. So looking at this part of your career, how does it feel in general to know that, you know, you graduated from the major label system?
2: Uh, that part feels amazing, honestly. Um, yeah, to know, like you said, to know that we have a, you know, a, a loyal fan base that, that's been, you know, around since the beginning, um, you know, that feels incredible. I mean, that's what, that's what it's all about. You know that's why we we got into this in the first place. So, and uh, you know, like you said, to be free from from the label thing is uh, I don't know, man. It's it's pretty it's pretty great. <laughs> you know, it's uh, very liberating, I guess. We can be in charge of of um, everything from the creative process um, to every you know business aspect. Um, you know, scheduling, you name it. Um, you know, we we get to control it all, so it's it's pretty nice.
0: Well, somebody who's done a lot of reading on the band knows that you were very instrumental in the business, and that you've worked with other bands, and I believe Back Lounge Productions is your company, and all that. And were you from mm-hmm. day one very instrumental in the business, or is that something that you learned to do as you went along?
2: No, I from day one. That's kind of that was always kind of my thing. You know, I was really really interested in. in you know, business um, in college. That's kind of how when we started the band. That's kind of the way I approached it. I approached it more as a business, and um, you know, always, always tried to. I don't know to keep the band on a you know on an upward trajectory. I guess just trying to, uh, you know, just trying to keep the keep the thing rolling and and always going up. So it's kind of kind of my my thing.
0: Well, I could tell you as somebody who worked in and around artist management a lot that sometimes when you have that guy in the band who's super motivated, it can, you know, rub the rest of the management team the wrong way. So is it the kind of thing where these days, seeing how much of the business that you do, that it has to be a management team and a label and all that that can work with you guys? Or do you just, you know, you don't care?
2: No, I mean, you know, I I I'd, I'd enjoy having, you know, having a team. Um you know but at the same time you know we we have a we have a great manager that we've been you know working with for probably 6 years now um you know we have a booking agent that that we've been working with for for a little while that that we're we like a lot so um and we just we just brought in, brought in some more people on the PR side recently um to help out so you know it's it's nice to have a support system and a team around so it's just also nice to kind of, I don't know, be able to oversee it now as opposed to having somebody else do it, you know, that way we kind of know that whatever happens is our vision, you know, you're seeing it from, from the band, um, not somebody, some guy at a, in an office at a label, you know what I'm saying, so when our fans see something from us, it's actually from us, that's right. kind of nice.
0: And another amazing accomplishment of the band is that you were inducted into the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame, you know, four years into being a band, something really, really short and quick like that. Yet Oklahoma's musical history is very rich when you think about, you know, Garth Brooks and Leon Russell and the Gap Band and all that. And I'm curious, being a hard rock inspired band from Oklahoma – was it harder to be from Oklahoma with, the uh, you know, Kiss and all that as influences?
2: Um, you know, I think being from Oklahoma in the, in the early days really helped us. I think it helped us get out of Oklahoma, to be honest. Like, I mean, not that we want to be out of Oklahoma. I don't mean anything negative by saying that. I just mean that I think it, it helped us kind of, I don't know, kind of be the band that, that we wanted to be in the beginning. You know, we didn't have all the pressure to do – you know what the trends were on the coast at the time you know i think that was that was the time when when alt was really kind of it was it was pretty big you know you had all the the bands you know what i mean so you know we we had a chance to just be a straight forward rock band um and you know people people seem to to love it we got lucky
0: well, on my end, I did not mean any disrespect to Oklahoma. I've had the pleasure in the last year and a half of going to both Tulsa and Oklahoma City, each for a few days. And I believe you're still based cool. in Oklahoma City these days yourself. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And as somebody who's been around the world, you know, a few times to say the least, what is it that keeps you based in Oklahoma? Is it the cost of living? Is it just that family's there? You know, I mean,
2: uh, family has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, we have a great, uh, a great. Support- support system there. Um, you know, uh, we have friends, family that, that, that help us out with a lot of things. Um, the city's the city's growing, it's, it's becoming really cool. Um, it's, it's fun, but it's not overpopulated. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting into a traffic jam every time you want to go somewhere. So that's nice. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, for the most part, people are, are pretty cool in Oklahoma city. So that's, I don't know, it's just a pretty great place to live, I think.
0: And how are the street trolleys coming along there? Last time I was there,
2: that was still being built. Yeah, it's going well. I actually haven't had a chance to, to go and, and ride on them yet, but uh, I think they had some glitches in the first day. I think uh, one of them got stuck under a bridge, but uh, they got it all, all fixed and taken care of, and I think they're running good. Cool. So another
0: thing that intrigues me when I talk to artists is whether they know things on a week-by-week basis or they really know where they're gonna be for the next three years. You know, I was listening to a recent Kevin Hart interview on Joe Rogan where he was talking about how his next special is gonna be in something like 2021 or maybe early 2022. For you and Hinder, how far ahead are things planned?
2: Well, on the booking side, you know, it can be, you know, we can book some shows that are you know, six months out or even a year out and then kind of start to plan around. You know, I I usually probably get you know I usually get the information before the rest of the guys, and then I kind of, <laughs> to be honest, kind of just forget. You know, we'll it'll come through, and we'll we'll make a plan, and and you know put it out there for the agent to and the manager to you know lock everything in, and then my brain kind of just moves on. But um, I usually do get it, at least get the the word ahead of time, and then you know a lot of sometimes it'll be you know maybe a month month or two out where some other things will get confirmed um you know just around those initial dates or whatever so
0: it just kind of depends and looking at things long term for hinder people used to think of the the beach boys as the band that you know every summer they'd be on the road and, you know, it's the summer because the Beach Boys are out there. But long term, do you want to be on the road 100 days a year and earning your living from that kind of thing? Or is your hope to become more of a weekend warrior kind of band?
3: You know,
2: I, that's a really great question. Um, and I'm I'm not sure that, that I really know at this point just yet. You know, I think while we're still enjoying it, 100 days a year is, 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 pretty, is pretty good for us at the moment. You know, we're still creating new music and and you know we want to get it out to as many fans as we can um i mean obviously we're not gonna try to you know we're trying to get out of the the radio game you know where we're chasing chasing radio hits and what what we think they want but um you know it's so it's kind of important for us to still go out and play you know play as many shows as we can within reason i mean obviously we're not we're not the kind of band that wants to be out 300 days a year but um you know, uh, we can handle a hundred. That's not so bad.
0: And then when you're not busy with music, because I, as I mentioned earlier, you do have the production company, what kind of stuff do
2: you like to do?
3: Uh,
2: well, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 love to travel. Me and my wife and I love to, to travel. We love, uh, we love animals and we have a bunch of, you know, we have three dogs and a cat that we spend a lot of time with. Um, but we also, you know, we also do other, other things and other businesses, um, whether it's like flipping houses or there's some other things that, that we do to help out some some friends' businesses as well. So, um, yeah, we I definitely stay busy when, when I'm at home, that's for sure.
0: Wow, the flipping houses part. Had that come up earlier, I would have had about 10 minutes of questions about that one, maybe next time. But <laughs> I guess in closing, any last words for the kids?
2: Man, you know, honestly, uh, I just wa- want to thank everybody um, that's that's been with us um, for all these years, you know, like I said earlier, um, you know, that's why we do it. It's an amazing feeling to have people that, that have stuck around with us for so long. And, uh, you know, we couldn't really ask for more. So just uh, a huge thanks to everyone.
0: Last but not least is my chat with professional wrestler Michael Elgin. Elgin has wrestled for almost every major wrestling company in the world over the last decade or so. He's a former world champion and can currently be seen each week on Impact Wrestling. I spoke with him by phone while he was in New York for some television tapings, and he was very open about many facets of his life as a popular wrestler. Hello. Hi, Michael. This is Darren, your interview. How's it going there?
3: It's going pretty good. How about yourself?
0: Great. Thank you very much. And I first want to ask you, if I've done my research correctly, you started training as a teenager and made your debut in the ring as a teenager. So I'm wondering if there was ever a point when Michael Elgin did not think that he was gonna make it
3: uh you know it's it sound it's weird like I always of course thought I was gonna make it as a wrestler um I don't know that that's how I said it to myself when I was training or when I debuted at the age of sixteen, but I know that my focus the majority of my life was to become a pro wrestler, and that was kind of the end all be all for me. As I said, I don't know if I ever like articulated it to myself at that point that, hey, you know, you're going to make it and uh, you're going to make a living at this and you're going to be in, in big promotions and anything like that. But it was definitely my main focal point. So I think subconsciously I was definitely confident that I was going to succeed at, at wrestling.
0: And you overcame a lot of adversity to become a main eventer. So I'm curious if there's a career moment that you're most proud of at this point.
3: You know, I think there's a lot... As of late, you know, I've been given a lot of big opportunities and big promotions against big-time opponents, and I feel that when given those opportunities, I've always succeeded. But I think the one that was really the turning point in my career and and put eyes on me and and really opened up a lot of doors was my match with Davey Richards in 2012, uh, WrestleMania weekend.
0: But ultimately, you've won all these championships in different companies, but now you're an Impact. And of course... You made a big splash with Brian Cage and all that, who you knew years prior from your work on the indies. But what is it that brought you to impact? Was it that you had something to to prove at that level with that company?
3: Yeah, you know, there was a lot of things that brought me to impact. One was, you know, I want to be a world champion. And often a world championship only means as much as the performers and the company allows it to. And I went back and I watched the last, you know, year of impact wrestling, their pay per views, their T V product and I was blown away about how great the matches were, how great the talent was. And not only that, the focal point of everybody was to be world champion or an ex division champion if that's the belt they were going over or going for. So they focused on what I loved and that was pro wrestling. That was in-ring competition. And that was who wants to be the best, who wants to be world champion. And I think that in an atmosphere like that, you have to bring your a game. And that's what drew me, drew me to impact.
0: And when you're able to say that you're a world champion, which you have before, does it actually change your life in any way besides saying, Hey, I am, or I was a world champion.
3: You know what? It changes it. And it's not for the glamor. Uh, it changes it because you want to be a proud world champion. You want to be a world champion. People remember you. You want to defend that defend that championship as often as possible. So, it kind of makes you, you know, a little bit of a hermit because you need to work harder. Uh, you know, they always say that it's harder to stay on the mountaintop, right, than to get there, and uh, it is. Everybody's gunning for your position. You know, you're in a pack of many people trying to become world champion, but your world champion. That whole pack is after you, and you got to stay on your toes. And I think that it changes, and it's not that it's for the worse, but it just changes you where you kind of, okay, i got to focus now, even more so than I did before. Now that I've become world champion, you know, it's a brief, oh, my God, I won the world championship, I'm a champion. Okay, now the real work, you know, starts because I have everybody below me gunning for me so it definitely changes and uh it's not all the you know glitz and glamour that you would like to think it is it really keeps you on your toes but as an athlete as a pro wrestler you want that
0: and when i think of You know, Michael Elgin, had I not just, you know, listened to a bunch of podcasts with you, I would think, okay, that's a hardworking guy that accomplishes goals, that's very strong, that takes his craft very seriously. But is there something else that you wish more people knew about you? For example, that when you're not wrestling, you do this hobby, or that you're actually passionate about other things?
3: You know, uh, I'm passionate about more so than anything outside of wrestling, would be my son um and as of late it would also be sneakers so i guess that's kind of interesting um a little bit of a sneaker head kind of have a problem <laughs> buying shoes but uh really man outside of wrestling you know wrestling really does consume me and that's because you know you got to work out you got to study you got to do all that kind of stuff so it is a 24 7 job and when i can dial that back a little bit you know it's usually just time with my son so outside you know i'm um, pretty boring um I, I went through a stint where I was heavily following baseball and then the Jays started sucking. So now that the Raptors are good, I'm heavily following basketball again because those were the two sports that I took part in as a young child growing up. So i am always been an NBA and MLB fan. But uh, when the when the Jays aren't doing so well, I, I try not to get overexcited about my fandom because then people are like, hey, who's your favorite team? And I'm like, uh, let's not talk about that right now. So, um, you know, I, I think... What's going on right now would be the the, the love of the NBA again, and then uh, sneakers and hanging out with my son.
0: Was music ever a big deal for you?
3: You know what? Not not really. Um, it was funny. When, growing up, a lot of the music that I listened to was music I heard through wrestling. So uh, it wasn't a huge thing to me now, you know, a little bit more so. Um, just... Because on the road constantly, in the gym constantly, you need to find stuff that's new to listen to, or go back and and older stuff that you maybe didn't appreciate as much then as you can now, and stuff like that. But as a whole, you know, music was just kind of in my life due to wrestling, to be honest. And then now it's kind of opening up more, more so to me, just because of how much I'm on, on an airplane, in a car, in a hotel, in a gym, uh, you know, music kind of saves your life at this point.
0: And then speaking of all the travel that you have to do, are you big into rewards points and that kind
3: of, you know, collecting and, and travel hacking? The hotels, not so much. And I don't know why I need to get on that, but the miles is a lifesaver. Like, uh, you know, especially trying to to, to fly, places and everything or, or purchase things, uh, the miles is what I really worry about. So I try to make sure that I'm flying Delta constantly cause that's where all my status is. So I get, you know, lounge access and free upgrades and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, as far as like miles with the flights, yes. Uh, I also deal with some, um, like national car rentals. So I have some points there, but the hotels, I need to, I need to figure that out, but it's so hard cause like, you know, you never really stay in the same hotel unless you're with one company and can kind of say, Hey, can I just stay at this type of hotel? It's a little bit hard when you're traveling with a lot of different companies because, you know, some companies can afford to pay you what you ask for to wrestle, and then you need a hotel on top of it. And if you're collecting points at, let's say, a Hilton, that might not be as affordable for them as if, like, uh, you know, a Red Roof Inn or something when when they're a smaller company. So the hotel, I find, is a little bit harder to collect.
0: And, of course... Being that you're at this point in your life traveling and on the road probably more than you haven't been, uh, with in terms of packing, are you like a master packer where if you know you overslept, you could have all your bags packed and leave for the airport in two minutes?
3: Yes, and no, see, I'm I always pack the night before, which I don't know, I, I think. When I was younger, I was a last-minute person, and as I grew older, I became like, okay, it doesn't matter what time I get to the hotel, I pack everything up. So if I do oversleep or anything happens in the morning, I can just grab my bags and go. So luckily, I haven't done that, but I do have a problem since I have acts like uh, since I have status on Delta, I get free checked bags. So like, I bring a lot of stuff with me because I need food, I need workout gear, I need supplements. And now. I need like four or five pairs of sneakers and they have to be fit in perfectly so they don't get creased or marks on or anything. So uh, my stuff's backed up nice and neat the night before, but I often have far too much for such a short trip.
0: (laughs) Well, that all goes in line with the guy that works hard and follows his goals and gets everything done. So I guess in closing, uh, any last words
3: for the kids? Just uh, thank you for being a wrestling fan you know, thank you for supporting wrestling. And, uh, I really appreciate it because I know without fans that are following us and without fan support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do and what we love. And, uh, if there is anybody out there that has in mind that they want to be a pro wrestler, I know that people around you might not understand it and they might not get it. Uh, because I went through that as a young kid, but know that If you put your mind to something and you work hard enough, that it's always achievable. So any wrestling fans out there that are hoping to make this a career, uh, my hat's off to you, and I hope that you will take the steps to do so, and I hope you all succeed.
0: Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.